This episode is sponsored by Macmillan Audio. This week, I'm excited to share that you can listen in to a bit of The Fortune Seller by Rachel Kapelke Dale, read by Stephanie Cannon. In late August before senior year, I returned to Yale to find that my best friends had locked me out of our house. If it were one of them, they would have simply gone to a boyfriend's apartment or the suite of a prep school friend or into the city for a night at the St. Regis faster than you could say Amex Black. But I didn't have a boyfriend. I hated asking favors from anyone, let alone mere acquaintances. And though there was $3,000 in my bank account, enough for about three nights at the St. Regis, it was the most money I'd ever had at once, by a lot. And it had to last me until the following May. Pre-order The Fortune Seller by Rachel Kapelke Dale now, wherever audiobooks are sold. Hello and welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm your host, librarian and writer, Laura Zaro-Kapinski, and I'm thrilled to share that my guest this week is my favorite author, master storyteller, Kristen Hanna. I think we're really going to be in for a treat. Kristen is back on A Bookish Home to discuss her new novel, The Women, at once a coming-of-age story of a 20-year-old nursing student who serves in Vietnam and an epic tale of a nation divided. Fans of The Nightingale and The Four Winds will definitely want to hurry out and pick up a copy. Once again, you'll be swept away and riveted by the experiences of a courageous woman during a fascinated, fascinating time in history. Kristen Hanna is an award-winning, international, number one best-selling author with over 25 million copies of her books sold worldwide. Her most recent titles, The Four Winds, The Nightingale, and The Great Alone, won numerous Best Fiction Awards, and her earlier novel, Firefly Lane, is currently a best-selling series on Netflix. Kristen is a lawyer-turned-writer and the mother of one son. She and her husband live in the Pacific Northwest near Seattle. Kristen, welcome back to A Bookish Home. Thanks for being here, and a big congratulations on the women. Oh, thank you so much. It's great to be here. I'm excited to talk to you about this. Yes, I get so excited when I see that a new book from you is coming out. It's rare for me to have so many favorite books by one author and, you know, the reading experiences for The Nightingale, The Four Winds, The Great Alone are just some of my all-time favorites. And so I was so excited about The Women. And it really has echoes of those other books. And in particular, I feel like it reminded me a lot of The Nightingale, which just what I loved about that one so much. And what I love about this is that whole idea of bringing to life the experiences of women during wartime. And, you know, they're so often forgotten and not what we read about in the history books. And I love getting swept away by these characters and kind of getting to see the world through their eyes. So I guess just to start, if you could tell listeners a little bit more about the women. And I'm curious if if that angle is sort of what got you interested in writing the book or how you came to this topic. Well, um, so let's see. It As you point out, for like the last 10 or 15 years, I've been really interested and kind of devoted to unearthing women's lost historical stories and kind of putting women back where they belong in the historical landscape. Because as you point out, so many of these stories we didn't read about in school and we weren't taught about. And I think it's really important for women and especially young women to know um, the history of other women and to understand and realize 
how resilient and you know courageous and important we have been throughout history. And so that being said, um, this book was was different in a way, and because mostly because I guess I have wanted to write this book for about twenty years. Oh, wow. I was um, a child during the Vietnam War. And my one of my closest friends' dads uh, served in the war. He was a pilot, and he was shot down. So I think I was about 10 or 11 when I began wearing uh, what they called at the time a prisoner of war bracelet, a missing in action bracelet. And it was a silver um, bracelet that had his name and rank and the day he was shot down on it. And so it made a big impact on me as a kid, um, you know, the fact that he had served and that he was missing. And I wore that bracelet for, you know, years and years and years. So his his name was always in front of me. And then on beyond that, even though I was young, I saw the way the veterans were treated when they came home because a lot of them were my friends' dads. And so I was aware that they were not treated well. And that just sort of stayed with me for a long time. And so I always wanted to write about the Vietnam era. But for a long time, it was really considered kind of a taboo subject. You know, nobody wanted to talk or hear about that war. Once it ended, America really just wanted to go on and leave all of that um, chaos of the the Vietnam uh, time period behind. And so I kind of waited to be ready to tell the story and to find my way in to know what exactly the story was. And it wasn't until I think March of 20 when we were in the very early stages of the pandemic and in Seattle, we were on lockdown. And um, I was noticing, of course, how angry and, and politically divided our country was. And, you know, this was a, a really difficult time, obviously, in America. And it felt very much to me like um, the Vietnam era had felt. And so I think I started thinking about Vietnam then. And then, like everybody, I was watching our healthcare workers, our nurses and doctors, who were really on the front line of the pandemic, um, sacrificing so much to help others. And it all sort of came together in my mind right then. And I thought, okay, I want to write about the nurses in Vietnam. And I realized that, you know, with the exception of maybe China Beach a long time ago, I didn't really know anything about them. And so I went in search of their stories and found um, what I think is just like um, just a treasure trove of of courage and, and heartbreak and importance. And all of these things are really what I'm looking for when I write a historical novel. That's so interesting to see all of those different threads come together and in particular how the COVID era nursing I, I wouldn't have made that connection. So that's so interesting to hear that that was part of how you found that aspect of the story and your way in there. And one of the reasons why I love historical fiction so much is when you're just kind of looking at the chronology of history, at least for me, I don't always put certain pieces together 
And in reading this book, it got me thinking so much about how the young people that were so often going off to Vietnam, like Frankie in the story, I really hadn't thought before about how they would have been hearing growing up all of the heroic tales about World War II and that that would have so seeped into them and the idea of, you know, the ways you make your family proud and just the stories that they would have heard and how the war experience in Vietnam was then so different and and never mind for women going over there to serve as nurses, but just in general. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that and kind of how, you know, just along with that, if some of the real nurses that went off to Vietnam did get such a different reaction than expected, like Frankie, you know, they think that they're going to make their family proud in this way and live up to these stories that they've been hearing forever. But then at least in Frankie's case, it's a very different experience. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I think that's part of what happens in history, you know, in terms of how the story is told afterward. Um, And I, you know, the Nightingale was very much about the people of the French resistance, you know, who who fought the occupation in various ways in France during World War II. And the sense of, of that story, it, as years go on, becomes very different than the fact of, of what it was at the time. And I think that's true of Vietnam as well. You know, we kind of think of the era now and we think about the protests and the hippies and the music and you know the change that was occurring at that time but we forget that you know the the vietnam war started much earlier and you're really talking about a period that comes right on the heels of the 1950s um where you know conformity was king and girls were supposed to be nice and get married early and and have families and men were supposed to have jobs you know it was a very different era. And that's part of what the change was that occurred. And yes, as you point out, they grew up in homes, a lot of them, these nurses, where their families were very proud of their own family's World War II service. And so at least at the beginning, the early, um, you know, Vietnam War era, a lot of these nurses that I read about and met, they had, you know, heeded their country's call in a patriotic way and they were young um, and they were often less trained than they should be to, you know, as nurses to go to war. And so here is this generation of women and men, many of whom, you know, went off to war in a patriotic way to make their family proud, to fulfill their duty as Americans. And yet as the tide changes and as the country and the military um, service people start realizing that their government is lying to them about what's happening in the war and why they're there. And, you know, as things start to change, they then come home to this very, divided America that not only, you know, doesn't throw them a ticker tape parade, but, um, but is actually angry at their service and treats them badly. And, and Frankie hears like so many of them did just forget about it, quit thinking about your service 
and you know get back on with real life you're young you know you got a long life ahead of you and as a good person and a good girl who um was raised you know in the late 50s Frankie really does try to do what is asked of her um but she like so many of the Vietnam vets is suffering from undiagnosed PTSD and there's just simply no one to help her and nowhere for her to go for help as a woman. Well, when she keeps getting told there were no women in Vietnam as she's trying to seek help, I just that was so hard to read and just, you know, having the courage to go try to find help when you're being told um, you know, that you're not a real veteran somehow even though she had made you know, all of those sacrifices. And we read toward the beginning of the book, just how challenging that that service was. And, you know, that makes me wonder too, I think I'm guessing this was maybe, well, maybe not for you because you've, you've gone through this process several times, but it feels like a daunting research process yep. to try to really find everything on what it would have been like for these nurses and then the post-war experience as well. What was that process like for you? I know you're really known for your research. Um, how did you go about it this time? It, it was actually really daunting because um, one of the things I knew that was uh, different, I think, than some of my previous historical fiction novels was that there were Uh, there was a big group of people who were going to be uh, able to read this book who had actually lived through this time period and lived through, um, you know, the country at that time and many of them who had gone to war. So I felt a real, um, I guess, a drive to get it right to the extent that I could and to and to shine a light on their forgotten service and and do it well. And so I, I basically, I, I researched like I always research, which is, you know, you try to do as much as you can to understand the time period, the landscape, the polit- politics, the geography, all of that. And then, you know, once I figured that my way in were these nurses, then I was able to really focus on just one woman's service in uh, in country. And I could use these wonderful memoirs that I had read to try to, you know, recreate that. And, but once I got to the end and I had written the first draft and I read the book and I thought, okay, now I really need to talk to someone who was there, someone who can tell me if I've, if I've done justice to this story. And so I found a woman named Diane Carlson Evans, who was a captain in the army nurse corps in Vietnam and, you know, served her country and then came home and then dedicated herself to uh, a decade long, uh, I guess, search to remember the women and she's the founder of the Vietnam Women's Memorial and so she read the book and she was just a beautiful both an inspiration and a mentor and she then opened it up and said here let me have some of my friends read this here's a a helicopter pilot Doug Moore read it and uh, a special services woman and a surgical nurse so I had a lot of people then 
able to help me and they were very um strong in their opinions and and they seemed really supportive of the book in general does anything stick out as maybe a misconception about the experience or something that they brought to your attention that maybe really surprised you well, you know, it was interesting. You pointed out later that I mentioned in the book several times, you know, Frankie hears at various times in the book, there were no women in Vietnam. And I kept, you know, coming across that sentence in my research and I would see it in the memoirs. And and it was just so difficult to believe for a modern, um, from a modern viewpoint that that is even, that that could ever happen. And so when I got a chance to meet a lot of these nurses and really talk to them about their experience, I found that, yes, they had, you know, almost all of them had at, at some point been told that. And, um, and also the, the negativity with which they were treated um, upon coming home. It's just uh, sort of inconceivable in the world right now that that would happen, but it very much did. And, you know, it, it left a mark on, on that generation of veterans, a very deep mark. Was there anything that they shared that helped your approach to capturing, you know, the, I'm just imagining those hospital scenes and the kind of in-country scenes was there anything they shared about that that was particularly helpful or did you travel to Vietnam while you were researching? Cause you, you know, just capturing the setting I would imagine would be really difficult. <laughs> that was actually, it was, it was frightening actually capturing it because um, as I said, I was writing this book during COVID. So there was right. no, there was no going to Vietnam. There was really just sort of, you know, all of the research and then my imagination um, but these women had written such wonderful memoirs. I've I've listed several key ones in the back of my book that people can read about if they want, you know, sort of more um, information on it. But what was really important to me, I think, and the reason that I delved so deeply into the war segments of it, um, I mean, I, I wrote a book years ago uh, called Homefront about a female Blackhawk pilot who deploys. And I remember being so stunned that, you know, that that it could be defined as non-combat, these things that women were doing, that simply the fact that women were, do, were doing them defined them as non-combat. So you could be flying a helicopter into a, a hot, you know, landing zone, and it's still not considered con combat. And these nurses, when they did try to get help um, in the post-Vietnam era, uh, you know, what they were told was, well, I don't understand how you can have a problem. You weren't in combat. You didn't hold a gun, did you? You didn't shoot anyone. And so I really wanted to show what it was like in these hospitals, you know, I mean, and, and, the difficulties that these women faced and, and the horror that they saw so that the reader can really understand that when Frankie comes home, she's, she's broken in a way um, because of, you know, her experience over there. 
And, and then I really wanted this book to ultimately be about uh, a woman finding her way and finding her voice and learning how to stand up and say, I was there and I'm proud of myself and, and accomplish what she chooses to accomplish in life. Sort of along with that, I think one of the ways she finds strength during the book is those really strong bonds that are formed with the other um, women nurses. And I'm curious if you heard a lot of stories about that, because it seemed like those were lifelong friendships and, and maybe the only people that were really able to truly understand and help after, or at least that sort of seems like what it was like for Frankie in the book. Yeah, I mean, I would say really the the beating heart of this book is really female friendship. This is really about uh, women from incredibly disparate and different backgrounds who come together in this um, challenging and you know the horrific theater of war and and bond together in a way that lasts for the whole of their lifetimes. And I think we have heard and read and seen for decades about the bonds that men build during wartime yes, and how those last and how those sustain them. And so I think it's really just, a, you know, the female version of the kind of friendship that grows in adversity. And then I think you take that farther and women particularly I think when they make those kinds of lasting friendships, they remain important for the whole of their lives and they are there for each other and help each other. And so I was, that's really what I wanted to show that these three women who had gone through hell together uh, were also together afterwards. And, um, and they are really kind of the, the soulmates of the story. That's so interesting. And so true that how often have we read, you know, or seen depictions of men's experiences during war and those bonds. And it is so uh, important to have that same representation for, for the women. Well, I wanted to ask too, I find the audiobook versions of your novels to just be, you know, again, among my favorites, just such wonderful performances. And um, they're, they're always done so well. And I'm curious if you are involved with those at all, or if you're able to give input and maybe if there's anything you could share about kind of the, the audiobook production for the women. Um, well, the, the smartest and best thing that I do for my audiobooks is get Julia Whalen to narrate them uh, because she is just, she's just remarkable. She has this ability to sort of, break down the book and inhabit the character and, you know, and use her voice to, to really create this version of the book that I think is just beautiful. Um, and I know it's, it's hard for her because a lot of these scenes in my books, as we know, are really profoundly emotional moments. And so, you know, I always picture Julia sitting in her little audio booth trying to figure out how to how to do these scenes without her her voice breaking or without her showing her emotion and just you know 
letting the character's emotions shine. And I just think it's brilliant. Oh, you know, it's it's interesting. I I didn't even put together that it was the same narrator because the performances are so distinct, but that makes sense then. And I know she's, you know, like renowned in the audiobook world, but yeah, I mean, I just think the performances are incredible. And I, you know, now that I've read the, you know, print version of this one, I feel like I need to also go back and listen to the audiobook because it's just such a wonderful experience. Well, I also wanted to ask kind of another form of adaptation. I'm sure it's been exciting to see Firefly Lane come out on Netflix. And I'm curious, you know, what you think of it or what that's been like. Oh, gosh, that was like, you know, a carnival ride. It was it was really, really fun. I absolutely adored the cast. I thought that Katherine Heigl and Sarah Chalk and Ben Lawson and the two um, young women actors who played young Kate and Tully, I thought they were just great. And I loved um, watching a series that really, truly, <clears throat> excuse me, was about the enduring character of female friendship. And, you know, you really believed, I thought, that those two women, Kate and Tully, you know, they might, they might hurt each other, they might say the wrong thing, they might fight, they might break up, but they were always going to come back together and be each other's best friend. And and that's another book where I think, you know, the the soulmate character of female friendship is very much on display. And I thought the the series captured that really well. Uh it captures it so well and it's it's just very true. I feel like watching the whole thing, I was texting my lifelong friend Kate <laughs> and just the way the way it portrays those different chapters and those bonds. And yeah, I thought it was wonderful and has been just such a treat. And, you know, it, it makes me wonder too, are there other books of yours in the works for adaptations? Are you able to say anything about that? Yeah. I mean, we just announced, I think this week that Warner brothers has optioned the women. Ah, and, oh, exciting. Yes, so that's really exciting because I think this is, um, a really exciting, you know, film opportunity because this story is just so big and emotional and dramatic and it's, you know, it's war and it's peace and it's the, you know, um, a changing America, a changing time. I think it'll be really beautiful on screen. However, these things seem to take a lot of time. Right. Well, I, again, I think we've seen, these movies for men so often it would it'll be really exciting to get to see the women on screen and you know I would also love to hear if you're able to say anything about maybe the next era you're working on or anything about your next project uh, you know I wish I knew um, <laughs> <laughs> I am sort of in desperate need of a story and uh, I haven't quite I haven't quite come across one yet and I think that's because I just really love the women so, so much. And it seems like, you know, a big, important um, page turning book. And so it's difficult to try to find something that I think is as good or better. 
Yeah. Well, technically, as we're talking, the women is not even out yet. So I know. <laughs> as I pester you for the next one, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it makes sense. It's going to probably take some time. Well, lastly, I just always love to hear what books authors are enjoying. Are you able to share anything you've been reading lately that you want to recommend? Sure. I just read David Grand's The Wager. Um, which I loved. I bought it for my husband for Christmas and I think he's going to start it soon and um, I'm sure he will love it. And I just started the new Chris Whitaker book, All the Colors of the Dark, which is uh, his book that followed We Begin at the End, which I, I just loved a couple of years ago. Wonderful. I'll definitely link to those and to the women. I think any historical fiction fans are going to want to pick this one up and anyone who's enjoyed your previous novels. And, you know, I think for people too, who maybe aren't normally historical fiction readers, even just thinking about the female friendship and that enduring friendship in the book, you know, if you're a Firefly Lane fan, you're going to want to um, pick this one up as well. I just highly recommend it. And it's been so wonderful to get to hear more about the inspiration for the book and, and the writing process. And I will just, again, be looking forward to the next Kristen Hanna book. And um, in the meantime, we'll have to satisfy myself with just the audiobook listen of, of the book that I've already read and uh, look forward to all that's to come. So thank you so much for coming on, Kristen. It's really been fun to get to talk with you. Thank you so much. This has been lovely and have a wonderful week. Thank you. You too. Links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode. You can visit a bookishhome.com. If you are enjoying the show, I hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading.